Welcome to the Athens Frontline, a podcast presented by the Red and Black that covers topics in health and wellness. I'm your host, Simran Kaur Malhotra, here to discuss healthcare disparities amongst the Black community, mistrust, and medical racism that still exists today with Dr. Shanez Allen. Support for this podcast is provided by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. For more information, visit greedy.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. As a native Athenian, Dr. Allen has over 20 years in the nursing healthcare profession. Dr. Allen is a graduate of the athens Clark County Public School System, and she holds a Bachelor's of Science degree in healthcare administration and community health education from Clark Atlanta University and a second Bachelor's of degree in nursing from Bernal University. Dr. Allen also holds a master's degree in nursing administration and leadership from the University of Phoenix and a doctorate of nursing practice degree from the Medical College of Georgia. Dr. Allen's background consists of critical care nursing with 15 years in cardiovascular intensive care and labor and delivery experience with the last seven years of her career spent in healthcare administration, leadership, and education. She is the founder and director of the Innovative Healthcare Institute right here in Athens. Dr. Allen, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for the introduction and thank you for the invite to be on your show. Of course, you are awesome. Um, when I started this podcast, I didn't know, you know, who I'd bring on. Uh, I wanted to make sure that all our guests are uh, from from Athens, are local, because uh, I think local, uh, you know, healthcare professionals know our community the best. Our, you know, healthcare, our demographics the best. And so, uh, you know, you grew up here, and and we even had you on at UGA Doctors Up Orders as a uh, guest speaker, and everyone absolutely loved you. And shout out to anyone who's in UGA Doctors Without Borders listening to this, but we absolutely loved you. And so I've been really looking forward to hearing from you. And I just want to preface to our listeners here. Currently, I have COVID. My test came back positive. Um, so I have congestion. Overall, I'm completely okay. And I'm really grateful that I got COVID after I got my primary vaccinations, after I got my booster shot, because I know if I didn't have any of those there's a high chance that I might be hospitalized or worse or anything like that. So um, I encourage everyone to get your vaccinations. I encourage everyone to get your booster shots. If you're eligible, you can still get COVID. It's still your choice, but you want to lessen the amount of symptoms that you get. You want to lessen the amount of transmissibility, especially with the Omicron variant. So be careful out there and get vaccinated. So Dr. Allen, I'm, I've been curious. Uh, you are the director and founder of Innovative uh, Healthcare Institute. So what is the Institute doing right now during the rapid spread of uh, the Omicron variant? So the Institute is training right now. So we're providing nurse and assistant training and phlebotomy um, technician classes at present, and we're doing them hybrid. So that means they'll do part of it online and the other part they come in and we do that to decrease their risk, you know, of being exposed to each other and whether other things are going on in the school. Um, we are also doing testing and vaccines, but actually we were closed for the holidays because as healthcare professionals, we have to know how to rejuvenate ourselves and get rest. Um, so during the holidays, um, we opted to close the school and the facility and we'll start back on the 10th of January with vaccines and testing. 
Um, so we're just gearing ourselves up, um, getting healthy so that we can go back on the front lines and take care of the community because you can't pour from an empty vessel. That's very important. Completely agreed. You are doing absolutely amazing things in Athens growing up here, being a community leader. Now, let's talk a little bit about these health disparities, right? And I think COVID-19 has definitely brought to light a lot of these health disparities, especially the underlying systemic racism amongst minority groups in the healthcare field, especially amongst the Black community. Now, these health disparities have existed for years. And years on, and there's a lot of ties in from history as well. But COVID-19, a lot of people didn't know this. COVID-19 is kind of what brought the spotlight to it. Um, instances in history where, you know, black owned clinics are lowly funded in comparison. Hospitals have been geographically segregated and built farther away from black communities and and just an overall disparity of mistrust as well. Now, as a nurse, as a school director, as a community leader, as an independent Black woman and a pandemic survivor, what have you observed through life, through your career, through the pandemic time in relation to systemic racism within the healthcare industry and more specifically within Athens? You've said a mouthful. <laughs> we can go on and on about the disparities of healthcare in Athens-Clark County pre-COVID, and it is magnified a million times post-COVID or during COVID. For us, we were just initially doing healthcare training and we were closed for three months, going on four months, just like every other organization, business in, in the United States. And we had to figure out a way to help our community. What could we do as healthcare providers to help with what we knew was going to be a long haul? Um, if you know science, and if you've taken any science courses or micro court, microbiology courses, then you pretty much know a new just by reading and looking and hearing at what was being um, dispelled about COVID that it was airborne and what could happen. And just looking every day at CNN and getting that information. So we knew that this was going to be detrimental to our community. We knew um, listening and we being in the nursing homes doing clinicals, um, how the people that are in the nursing homes that need help, a majority of minorities uh, with multiple comorbidities and the people taking care of them, the CNAs are minorities. Some working in nursing homes with no insurance. We knew that we had to do something before this got out of hand. So we um, petitioned the state to become a vaccine provider. We knew that vaccines save lives and we knew that it was already an issue with access to health care. So we knew once the vaccines came out, it was going to be an issue with access to health care. It continued and got worse and it was going to be worse with the access to vaccines. So we wanted to be able to provide a way for minorities to people of color to get vaccines. We also were able to become a testing site first so that we know that minorities could have a place that they felt comfortable to come um, with people that they knew worked in the community for years and that they trusted that they could come and feel comfortable and really get be able to not just get tested and move on, but be able to get tested and counseled and um, taken care of. 
And that's what we did. And the sad part about it is that Innovative Healthcare Institute has taken care of a lot of people in the community with almost no funds from athens Clark County or anybody. Um, but in, that was initially. We did get a very small grant from athens Clark County for $30,000 to do free testing. So we were able to do 300 free tests. We stretched that. We did over 1,000 te- free tests in the community. So that means innovative paid for those tests to be done. And um, when you got COVID funds into the city, into the community, we couldn't get any of those COVID funds. Um, We applied for them, but we couldn't get them. So we knew that that was a problem. And so we just continued to do what we could do to help our community. We were the first ones to go out to do testing in people's homes. We were the first ones to go out and do vaccines in people into the homes of um, the elderly. I mean, I could just go on and on about the disparities that are happening currently. I was listening to commissioners meeting like commissioners meeting last night, and we know that there's an issue with testing now. So there was a five hour wait at the um, Mako Medical, which is the company that the Department of Public Health contracted with to do testing. So they moved that testing center out to the west side of town, and it was still a five hour wait. And we know that they are short staffed there. How do I know that? Because they have, I know three of the workers there are graduates of Innovative Healthcare Institute. So when they talk about, you know, they needed to increase testing, and someone talked about Innovative and the Neighborhood Health Center to be places that people trust and they could reach out to us about testing. And I was disheartened to hear the county managers to say, well, if they're willing to do testing at our facilities and not charge the people. So, but they're still not willing to give any money. And, right. you know. <laughs> did, they, the did they ever is, tell you? They, did they say, you know why they're not giving you these funds? Or do you, do you have any assumptions as to why? Because Look, um, you know, our own members at Doctors Without Borders, they help, you know, they help out, they help register. You you were kind enough to give them that platform. And I encourage anyone who is fully vaccinated to help out your community, get people who aren't vaccinated, get them the access to vaccination, get them the access to testing if you can, or just volunteer at clinics like, you know, Innovative or other, mm-hmm. other clinics to help out. But they never told you why they're not giving you any funds or anything like that? They, well, the, the federal government sent tons, millions of dollars to athens Clark County to help with testing, to help with um, anything COVID related. They opted to do feeding food. Well, I understand food is important, but we have to be able to save our community because when people are sick, they're not going to be able to eat. They're not going to be able to work. They're not going to be able to do anything. So we need to, I, I, I don't know. They didn't do it. And if they did, we weren't a part of that when we know that we have done over 2000 vaccines free in this community. And I have to give a shout out to St. Mary's Hospital. They were one of the only other um, major organizations that did give money to help with vaccines for the minority population. Now, they reached out and have been very supportive. They send nurses over to help us in our clinic. And absolutely, Doctors Without Borders, you guys have been amazing um, to help us in some of our outreach clinics that we've done. 
I, I just don't know the answer um, why they have decided to spend the funds the way that they have. We partner with a nonprofit because we are a for-profit um, organization, um, but we function as a nonprofit because of the tar- our target population. And so we, we really don't make much money um, when we do, you know, function as a nonprofit. But that's for me, that's not the goal. Money is not the goal. Money, I mean, the 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 goal for me is not money. The goal is to make sure that I take care of the community, to provide a, a safe place where people can come and be educated, as well as a safe place where people feel trusted to come and receive health care services. But again, I cannot tell you what they did with their money, but that is, you know, that is community money and the community should have a say so. And I know that everyone does not want to go sit in a line for five hours to wait for to be COVID tested on the west side of town. I don't even know if the buses go out there, but yes, get back to the question, disparities in our community. It is, have always been there, but it's magnified with the COVID. Right. And yeah, St. Mary's Hospital has been doing great things. Um, I know when we were trying to get people um, their flu shot as well during the pandemic. They helped uh, and we, we partnered with them. But yeah, I mean, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that we're having to, you know, essentially depend on bigger healthcare institutions to fund, uh, to, to partner with while the government is supposed to, you know, they're the ones that are spreading the, you know, it's free, get this. But then when you ask for, you're just, it's not like yeah. you're trying to hoard them. It's not like you're trying to vaccinate yeah. yourself. You're trying to vaccinate your own community. So yeah. And yeah, we have you had to every day because they don't trust Department of Public Health. Um, They don't. And people, let me say this. Another reason why people don't trust Department of Public Health in the beginning in Georgia and in Athens, when we when the vaccines were here, people of color were being put on waiting list for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And we were waiting to get our vaccines and we had a waiting list as well. And we will always refer them to DPH because they are the ones that get the vaccines. And we would hear and we would see people that were not minorities would get the vaccine and they would go with no problem, but people of color will be put on the list. And I had to petition, I had to contact DPH, Dr. Toomey, why aren't we getting our vaccines? And why aren't people of color in Athens, Georgia, getting vaccines? Why are they being put on lists? And so I asked for the information to be put on the dashboard for DPH by race and by um, ethnicity. And then we saw in Georgia, there were a million vaccines given out. 800,000 went to white people. So we know in the entire Georgia, a million vaccines are out. 800,000 went to white people. Wow. You talking about disparity? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, DPH, and it was DPH, if you're listening, email us, call us. We'd like to hear from you. <laughs> yeah. We want that answers. was on the dashboard. I'm not saying anything that's not yep. true. Yeah. And I, I use that dashboard for my weekly analysis that goes out for yeah. the community. So, you know, that, that might be something to, to highlight a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. When we when all the dust has settled, look and see how many people of color are no longer with us when the dust has settled. You, you bring up yeah, 
you know, people don't trust EPH, they, they just mistrust. Uh, there's just a lot it's of mistrust. Um, so, you know, many experts blame mistrust as a reason for low vaccination rates amongst minority communities, especially the black community. And they cite historical events such as the Tuskegee syphilis study, Henrietta Lacks as reasons to why the black community mistrust vaccines, uh, healthcare personnel, um, you know, just seeking healthcare or help in general. Is this the correct notion? Is this the whole story? And if not, what do you attribute this high mistrust to? Okay, that's a portion of the story. You know, the Tuskegee experiment was a horrible situation in history um, that was deliberate through the hands of public health. The story of Henrietta Lacks. I always use the story of Henrietta Lacks when we talk about informed consent. That's very important. But that was a terrible situation that's still going on now with her family, um, not being able to reap the benefits of her sales that people use to this day. But it is more so, we have to add this layer to it. When you talk about mistrust, how am I going to trust you when no one looks like me, but you want me to trust you. No one there. Um, if you if you go to a lot of te- uh, vaccine clinics, um, they have a lot of people in line that are minorities, but not a lot of people working that are minorities. So that goes into what can um, reparations of healthcare, as we talked about before we started. But there are a lot of things that can be done to help with mistrust. If you can get some people on the front lines that look like the people that you're trying to vaccinate, that would help with the mistrust, I do believe. You know, people have to to feel one and feel connected and feel like they're kind of, they're equal. But if you don't have anyone that looks like me, you make me feel that I'm not even worthy or anyone that looks like me is even worthy of being in that position. So it, you know, we could go on and on and on about, about that. But I think that's a piece that a lot of people don't think about. But when I go to um, when I go back and think about my entry into nursing and being one of the I think it was just two of us um, on different shifts, being an African-American registered nurse in critical care. And you have no other ones that look like you. But the other people that look like you are in the dietary department, they're in the transportation department, they're in the housekeeping department, you know, that weighs heavy. And so that is how Innovative was born, because I wanted to be a safe place where people of color could feel like they could come to a place, get educated and be able to have an opportunity to advance in healthcare, to just get your foot in the door. So that's how Innovative was born out of those struggles, um, being one of the few African-Americans in my position as a critical care nurse in a cardiovascular intensive care unit, which is creme de la creme of nursing. Right. Okay. We talk about, you know, you you talk about the representation. People need to feel connected. They need to see that their provider looks like them, has uh, similar life experiences to them. But I also believe you you can't just like pick people from a certain community and say, go through all these years of medical school or these years of nursing. So I think, you know, for people to make a decision for their career, they need to want to be nurses or physicians. How can you increase representation when there might be, and I don't know if there is, 
a lack of interest in becoming a physician or nurse in in communities? Or is there even, you know, a lack of interest? Excellent question. Excellent. Um, I think it's about exposure at a young age. If you give children um, in elementary school exposure to seeing people that look like them at career day and telling them about their careers, taking field trips, you know, just you have to expose the youth. You can't just start at 18 years old and want to expose someone to that because there's some things that have to happen before then. Um, mindset and, um, you know, focus is very important. Um, but you have to expose children at an early age. And that's why it's very important when I'm invited to youth day that I put on my white coat and my stethoscope and I'm going to youth day and I'm going to talk to those kids about my career and other careers and let them know that, you know, this is something that as long as we plant that seed early and give them that exposure, then hopefully they can know about it, peak interest about it. And maybe one day they might not be a physician, but they may be interested in nursing. They may be interested to become a um, pharmacist or other things. You know, that's very important. And a lot of people, they're shying away from those career career days and those type of things. But we have to give the exposure to the children is very important. I'm a huge believer that economic inequity is the major reason for healthcare disparities alongside systemic racism. But I get stuck in figuring out how to solve this issue of economic inequity. How do we get minority communities in the doors of better paying jobs, long lasting careers, and most importantly, trained well enough to build generational wealth when tools and resources are constantly taken away from uh, minority communities and individuals from the get go? So it, it seems like kind of like a paradox, right? You're expecting all of this, but then you're giving all these resources to wealthier, to wider communities and saying, okay, do the same. But I know that I'm very privileged enough to be a minority that grew up having these resources and tools. So I know it's possible and it's helped me succeed. My question to you is being a community leader and someone who literally went to grade school here in Athens, have you noticed this paradox occurring? Is it the same narrative is it, you know, of uh, the wealthier community versus uh, a wealthier wider community versus a minority community who not, might not have the same resources and tools because they've simply not been provided. Is, has this been existent in your time here in Athens? Yes. For me, I think and I know, I do believe education is the key. If you don't have education, there are not many places that you can go in advance. So in our community, we had back in probably 10 or more years ago, there was a problem with we had a very high high school dropout rate and it was one of the highest in the state. And the thing is, once in our community, once you graduate, we kind of forget about you and just kind of hide you. Don't think about you anymore. But we must remember those people that did not graduate 20 years ago are still in our community. And they still haven't gotten a GED or high school diploma. They may not be able to read or write higher in into the seventh or eighth grade or whatever it is. We know that's a problem and we haven't dealt with it. And those people that did not graduate have children 
They have grandchildren and they have great grandchildren, possibly. And they are born into generations of low income, low education levels. And we must do something about that. And a lot of times we are not wanting to believe that we have an issue in Athens Clark County. I know with our previous superintendent, he was very adamant about trying to fix our um, reading rates. We had children in high school reading on a second grade level. That's a problem. How do they get to high school reading on a second grade level? We must do something now to help our children to teach them to read, teach their parents how to read. We must take care of the family unit. So we can't just, you know, I talk about the youth, but we can't forget their families because you want to be better than you want your, when you have children, you want your children to be better than you. Um, But we should have higher expectations than that. We should want the families to the next generations to be better than the generations before. And right now, We have generations and generations that are born into poverty and stay stagnant into poverty. And if we don't do something with the education system in our community, we will continue to have this generational of poverty, generations that cannot read. We will continue to have crime. We will have a lot of things that we can't fix. And I hate to see what the community would look like in 20 years from now. If we continue on the trajectory that we're on, something must be done. Right. And it's uh, coming from someone who literally grew up here. So I just want all our listeners to to listen to that. 20 years from now is not that long at all. And so, you know, essentially see how you could help out especially in the healthcare field and the educational field. Now, Dr. Allen, we both agree that the healthcare industry has an ethical duty to pursue, you know, health-related policies designed to rectify past injustices and mistakes and remedy current inequitable outcomes related to all the historical and systemic racism that has existed and still exists today. I remember reading that, you know, back in 1960s, 1970s, the Black Panther Party created this breakfast program and it ended up feeding thousands of black children. And the whole point of it was give back to the community you grew up in uh, because no one else is. And this program has ended up expanding all throughout uh, the nation. And there were free medical clinics uh, and community ambulance services and legal clinics. And you're doing a lot of that work, similar work now as a black woman who owns uh, your own, you know, clinic, your own school. So there's many organizations, you know, alongside yours and in history like this, and even today that have attempted or do the similar things. But what about the healthcare industry, right? All these organizations, it feels like it's these organizations having to do this because the healthcare industry, the industry that should be doing this is not doing it properly. And it's been here for hundreds of years. So we've been having to depend on all these clinics and nonprofits, essentially, when big hospitals, when policymakers could do this from the inside out. What are some solutions or, you know, your opinions you uh, think of that you might see that might help decrease these healthcare disparities within Athens from the inside out, from the healthcare industry out, where these organizations, they still should do these this type of stuff, but we don't have to just essentially heavily depend on them as much and can expect what is needed to be done from the healthcare industry that just hasn't been, been done for years now. Right. Well, the, the number one thing is, again, education. 
um, when you know better, you do better. And we know that historically, people of color um, have a lot of health issues. They don't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables by history. And sad to say, in Athens-Clarke County, we have a sector of our community that doesn't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, so it is deeper than we think. And we want to think that there is something like a light switch that we can just cut on and everything is going to be great. But it goes back to education. We have to educate our community. And when you're educating people, you're exposing them to different things. And when you're educating them, they will know the importance of exercise, the importance of eating the right types of food. But it's even it's deeper than that as well. When you have low wage jobs in a community, even if there is access to fresh fruits and vegetables, can they afford that? So all of that um, plays a vital role in healthcare because in healthcare, we see it on the opposite end of the spectrum where they are in the hospital because they have had a, a stroke or heart attack or um, they don't have proper health insurance because they don't have a job that would afford them to have uh, proper healthcare coverage and they end up not seeking help until the last minute, which is in the hospital with a stroke or heart attack or losing a limb because of diabetes or whatnot. So all of that is interrelated and education is the key because if we have a good solid foundation for education, then we can get a good job, then we can get healthcare insurance. And then we know with healthcare insurance, we're trained to go to the doctor, go to the dentist, get glasses, you know, if you need it, you know, with your vision checks or whatnot. Um, but when you don't have access to good education or have that education, then you are the one um, that, you know, you, you can't um, live a proper life, a life that's that you should, that everyone wants to live, which is healthy and being able to take care of your family and um, live the best life that you can. In Athens, we say it's the have and the have nots. Either you have it or you don't. And a community that has the great University of Georgia, we should not have the disparities that we have here in our community. Education, again, is the answer for that I would give um, that will help with the healthcare disparities because if if you know better you'll do better. Right, one hundred percent. And and we're a, a county, a city with one of the best public universities in the nation. And so uh, that's education. Yeah, that that shows education. You know, to its top, honestly. Anyways, I just want to thank you so much, Dr. Allen, for taking out the time here. DPH, if you're listening, love to hear from you. Yes. <laughs> I know you were a huge part of this conversation. Dr. Allen would love to hear from you. Yes, <laughs> Both I would learn. love to hear from the Department <laughs> of Public Health. Um, um, we're taking care of some of the same people. Right, right. Uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in and we'll tune in next time. Thank you, Dr. Allen. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to the Athens Frontline podcast presented by The Red and Black. I'm your host, Simran Kaur Malhotra. Make sure you tune back in next week for our next episode. Until then, check us out on social media at Red and Black. Have a healthy and safe rest of your week.